Thank you, Lee. If you have your Bibles, go with me to John chapter 1. John chapter 1, and we will specifically camp out in verses 35 through 42, but you may want to back up to verse 29 so that we take this uh, in context. Just to let you know, uh, right out of the gate before we get into this text, this will be the most difficult message that we have come to and probably will come to in our series on Reach Out because we're going to deal with how you reach family members for Jesus Christ. And just to let everybody know up front, often that involves us humbling ourselves, asking forgiveness, being so open and transparent, it almost creates an awkward situation, or so Satan would have you think, that God will use our brokenness to break down the walls of hardness that our family members have against us and the Gospel. And before we get to this text... Um, I believe that family is a great thing. Don't you agree? Just, just, the, just the concept of a family. That you have brothers who protect sisters and brothers who protect brothers. And if your sisters really mean the sister who protects the brother and, and families that are there for each other and they're connected. I think of some of the cool things that in our family that's, that's happened in the past. I remember... We, we still laugh about this stuff today. When Josh was a little kid, the brother right under me, I was chasing him through the house and we had these little recliner chairs for kids, kind of like a, a midget recliner stool there. And so he's running through the house and he takes one step on that and jumps over it, just like a gazelle. Well, I was, I was hot on his heels and I was able to grab his back right or left foot just enough to trip him up in the air and he goes flying and lands on his face. Are y'all alright this morning? Like what a bizarre way to start a sermon. And he gets up. Oh, oh! And his tooth had fallen out. His loose tooth. But then when he saw what had happened, he turned around and said, Thanks, man, because in our house, when you lose a tooth, you wake up with a dollar under your pillow. Can anybody identify this morning? And we still laugh about that stuff. I remember when my brothers were in high school and they kind of had an ongoing prank war with some of the other guys in, in the, the community, in the neighborhood there. And, and Jordan had had one of the guys or a group come and just knock on his window at night and try to scare him. So we kind of snuck out the side of the house and we thought they were over in this patch of trees. And kids, don't ever do this. This is dumb. I'm just being transparent. All right, This is not prescriptive. Don't do this. But I was going to try to scare their buddies. I was in college at the time. And you know, college students, they think they know everything, but they're morons most of the time. And, uh, you know, you, you go to philosophy class, you think you know everything because you know terms. You don't know what they are. You just know terms. You can throw it out and make people think that you're smart. And so I said, Jordan, yeah, give me the 9 millimeter because we're going to try to scare them. And he goes... What nine millimeter? You know, and so anyway, it was just one of those things. And then I think about with, with my mom, uh, she tried to stop us from arguing on a trip one time. And we we're just, you know, arguing and things like that. And you know how sometimes moms, you're so sweet and you know how to diffuse situations. You know how to be mom and the peacemaker. And so she tried to do what moms often do, and that is distract the arguing parties. And she said, wow. There's a lot of cars on the road today. 
Really, Mom? Really? And then Dad growing up, I don't know where he heard this or heard anybody else say this. This may be, this whole thing may be one of those you gotta be there things. But he would get frustrated and he would get mad and sometimes people say certain things, but he had this thing, he'd go, Good night, nurse! And my mom would say, There's a nurse. Well, tell me about her. How, you know, just, just play on like that. And so we have all of these great memories going back. And, and then I think of the old school song. Um, if you know it, you can raise your hand. Let the circle be unbroken. If you know that song, let me see your hands. All right. Okay. Some young people know this. Okay. All right. So here's the thing. In our family, we are far from perfect. We still don't act all the ways that we should around each other. But at the center of it, I was able to be raised in a home to where Jesus Christ was lifted high and Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords and He is worthy of all of your devotion, all of your life. But the way my mom was raised and the way my dad was raised was very, very different. And they were both the first person in their immediate family to get saved and come to faith in Jesus Christ. And I believe that some of you could be the same way. You look back at your family heritage on both of our sides, the family, there are things that are not honorable, things that you know you wish that were not necessarily there in your family history, but God always will choose a person and invest in them through other people. And what happens is you get saved and you get on fire for Jesus Christ. You throw off this this false type of churchianity, this southern thing to where you come to church if you like the music and you like the preacher and you go home and you ne- never enters into your life at all. You throw all that mess away. Amen? Or it should be. Nobody needs more religious people who don't have any impact on the world. But you get really saved and you allow God to do such a work in your heart that you, husbands, God changes your family through you. Sons, daughters, wives, God changes your family tree, your family culture through what He has done in your life. But here's the difficulty. And that family knows the old you and now they know the new you. So what you must do to lead them to Jesus is to lead them to Jesus through humility and Christ-likeness. It's very, very simple. So let's go back to John chapter tw- uh, 1 in verse 29. And this is John the Baptist. And he says, the text records, The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, back in verse 23, this is John the Baptist trying to explain who he actually is. They say, uh, back in verse number 22, Who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. So here's what's happening. The gospel story is beginning to unfold. There's this man called John the Baptist who was living in the wilderness. He dressed strangely. He had this coat of camel's hair and and he was probably unkept in his appearance and this leather belt and he preached these really seeker-sensitive, these really chicken soup for the soul, these really sappy messages. Like when everybody gathered, he said, you brood of vipers. In other words, hey, you pack of little devils. Welcome. Who warns you to flee from the wrath to come? 
basically saying, welcome everyone who's going to hell. There may be a chance for you to be saved, but guess where you're going? By the way, you're just like your father, the devil. It was those types of messages, and guess what happened? People came. Do you know that I think Satan feeds us a false lie today that if we're so coddled down and we're so benign and we're so weak and we're so traditional churches that we don't have any punch, we don't have any zeal, we don't have any conviction, we won't stand up for anything, that people, the world will say, wow, they're so nice. I think I want to learn about Jesus. Guess what? Jesus was not your classic church guy. Jesus hung out with sinners. And guess what? Jesus was invited by sinners. Which means, hello church folks, Jesus had people skills. Y'all alright? I think one of the greatest things we could do in church is to teach basic people skills. I mean, the people that you know in church say, no, I don't know anybody, I don't have any, you know, friends, I don't reach that like, sit, well, get, get compassion and go out and reach people for Jesus. So here's John the Baptist, and he's preaching these hardcore messages, and they're like, who are you? It's like if you've ever been and people say, oh, you remind me of such and such. You don't know who the person is. Or you, do, you remind me of so and so. And it may be somebody on TV or whatever that you don't really want to be associated with. Notice what he says. He says, I am the voice. Of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. In other words, he's saying, I am the one that God has raised up to level the playing field. I am the one to tell all the church people that their acts of goodness and their acts of charity don't amount to a hill of beans. I am the one to preach that you must repent, you must humble yourself for God to be able to deal with you at all. Because as it says later in the Bible, uh, God resists whom? Help me out church. Resist the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. So notice what happens here. He has all of this fame, all of this notoriety, and let's stop before we go to verse 30, and I knew that was going to happen. I was like, I see that happened. But let's wait before we go to verse 30, and he goes like, verse 30. It's one of those preaching awkward things up here. I'm like, this is hilarious, but nobody can see this with me. So here's the thing. Um, when we get notoriety, when people come and they're like, wow, you sang such a pretty song. You, you painted that. You built that. You earned that. Moms, you raised that. Grandparents, you, that's your, wow. Often what we don't do is look for someone else to say, no, 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 it's not me. It's the Lord or it's because my wife has been so patient with me through the years. Well, the re well, thank you for that compliment. My husband, my kids, they've been such a great support. Notice what he does in verse 30. After he sees Jesus, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He says in verse 30, This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. What he's saying, guys, is that I am nothing. It is Jesus who is above everything. I'm simply here to let people know that Jesus saves. And that's God's plan for you and your family. It is for God too, through you, to your family. Let them see God's change in your life and they will See the change. Now notice what happens over here in verse 35. The next day John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he was walking by. 
He said the same thing before, the day before. Behold the Lamb of God. In verse 37, the two disciples beside him say this, heard this, they followed Jesus. Jesus turned to them following and said, what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? They're like, man, who is this guy? What, what is he, where's he staying? What, what is he doing? And Jesus said to them in verse 39, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus, check this out, was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ he brought him to Jesus. Underline that in your Bible. And that is, he brought his brother. Amen, church? He went out and he told his brother, we found the truth. Then he brought his brother to the truth. And this is awesome. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, so you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Love this, guys. It means you will be rock. You will be a Petros. You will be a rock. You will be a foundation. You will be a communicator of the gospel. But here's what's interesting. With all of the fame that we give to Peter... Lord, they all leave you, but I'll never leave you. Pulling out his sword, trying to take people down, trying to arrest Jesus... It is the braggadocious, the loudmouth, the very charismatic Peter that was brought to Jesus by, from what we know of the Bible, by his calmer, more soft-spoken brother, Andrew. Almost every time we see this, please hear this, soft-spirited people, maybe mild-mannered brothers and sisters in Christ this morning, the ones you're not going to be loud and boisterous. You realize that almost every time we see a mention of Andrew, he's bringing people to Jesus. He's bringing people to Jesus. That means that you don't have to be a certain personality style to bring people to Jesus. I remember reading about the Vikings and Leif Erikson and how in the annals of history, we believe that the Vikings were probably the first Europeans to visit the East Coast and how they, they settled in Newfoundland, Newfoundland there for a while. An interesting story, but the Vikings didn't tell anybody. So the new world kind of sat with that culture and went off into legend for hundreds of years. I believe that when we truly find Jesus Christ, or should I say, when Jesus Christ truly finds us, right? When He, the Good Shepherd, comes and finds us, there is something within us, even if it gets awkward for us, even if it's weird, even if we've never seen that modeled in our home, if we come from a home of, of drinking and, and cursing and fighting, or just a home to where everyone's okay with each other, but it's spiritually dead. No one talks about Jesus. No one talks about the Word of God. It's like, I've got to tell them. I've got to tell him about Jesus. So Jeff, how can I be like Andrew and bring the gospel to my family? Well, I talked to one of my former roommates this week, and he's now a pastor, raised in a very lost family. And I asked him, I said, what are some things that you could say 
that could help our people win their families to Jesus Christ. You know what he said? Number one, it's going to be hard. That's what he said. He said, you are going to have to love them to Jesus. And I've heard this from so many people. They say, Jeff, but what happens when I want my dad to be saved or my kids are straying from God? They don't have any desire for Christ. What can I do? Because it seems that I want them to be saved, but sometimes I totally mess up and I misrepresent the gospel around them. What should I do then? Here's something that I hope will help all of us. God has not called you to be some type of person that never, ever, ever has a weakness at all. So people look at you and say, wow, that person's so perfect. Because what we see in the Bible, here's what we, here's what we find. God finds, I'm excited this morning. I'm sorry. This is, this is huge stuff from the Word of God. When God finds a person who is willing to humble themselves, it is through that person that God can work. If God was looking for the top of the top, He never would have found Moses. He would never would have chosen Moses in the desert, in the back 40, who was tending sheep to lead the Israelites out of Egypt. You would have gone to the best universities in the world say, who has the PhD, the double PhD in leadership? Moses couldn't even talk, but Moses was willing to humble himself before God. Here's what you do. If you have fallen, if you have stumbled, if you have not represented Christ well to your family, what you do, either corporately or individually, this if you don't do this, there's going to be a huge wall between your family member and Christ. Here's what you do. You sit them down. Dad, you sit your sons down and say, Listen, I was wrong for... Whatever the Holy Spirit brings to your mind, if you need to write it down to read off the list, and you say, I am not bringing any expectations to you, saying, I want you to do this. I'm letting you know that I was wrong. Please forgive me. I'm trying to follow Christ, and I want you to know that I'm serious. Number one, this is in your outline. You say, Jeff, what if my... um, Children, don't follow Jesus. Number one, you ask for forgiveness if you have raised them in church, and this is the case. It's not always the case. But if you've pushed moralism instead of love for Christ, you ask them forgiveness for that. For example, you have told them you go to church because it's simply the right thing to do. You don't lie because it's wrong. You don't do this, but it's never connected to Christ, so all they see is a list of rules. You come to them, if God has shown you in your heart when you raised them, you were harsh in your discipline. Or you did not discipline them. If you're the type of father or mother to where raucous anger is your modus operandi, when you curse at your children, when you scream at them, when you discipline them in anger, what they see in you is not the picture of the Heavenly Father. So what you do, once you get saved and once you get serious about Jesus, is you go back to them and say, look, what I did was wrong. My attitude was wrong. I'm trying to follow Jesus. Would you please forgive me? You say, Jeff, you don't understand, man. My kid is, I can't get him to work. I can't get him to respect me. Here's the thing. When you respect God and you follow his command, I told you guys, I don't know what's going to happen to our crowds after this, but this is truth, all right? You can't expect your sons and your daughters to respect you if you do not respect and honor what God told you to do. In the context of a family, you must, especially men, if you're here this morning, if you refuse to do this, you are showing yourself to be a coward. 
to be more concerned about your selfish pride than for the eternal destiny of your family. What you got to do, guys, is say, look, Dad was wrong here, here, and here. I was not here. Is there anything else, anything that I've not been there for, any broken promises I've given to you? And you just lay it all on the line and you give them an opportunity to give you forgiveness. And if they don't initially, you ask for God's grace. We okay? It's tense. Psalm 78, 4. We will not hide them from our children, from their children, but tell them the coming, to the coming generation, the glorious deeds of the Lord and His might and the wonders that He has done. You're going to have to tell them what Jesus has done in your life. And there, there are some practical tips, ways that you can do this, guys. This is from uh, an article. One thing that you can do is buy your family Bibles. If they have, you know, Bibles that are old or torn up, you can buy them a new one. One thing that you can do is say, look, this is something we've never done before, but we're going to start to pray after, before the meals, and then we're going to read a passage of Scripture, and then we're going to talk about it. it can, I'm telling you guys, stuff like this will change the culture of your family. Because what your sons and daughters will see is, what in the world has gotten into Dad? Seriously. Guys, if you start to pray with your families, that's going to do, and I believe this, more good than all of my sermons. If you've been a parent that says, you know what? Bible says, Proverbs 22.6, train up a child in the way he should go, and the way uh, when he is old he will not depart from it. Bringing your church to offload them at the youth and children's Sunday school on Sunday or Wednesday is not training them in the nurture and admonition of the, of the Lord. We still okay? You must teach that to them from you. If you never bring it up, men, what they see is during the week, Dad talks about hunting, he talks about sports, he talks about work and money, but on Sunday morning, he goes and sits and listens to Jesus, but Jesus never comes out of his mouth. So guess what they see is important in your life? Not Jesus. So if that is the case, you go to them and you ask, Forgiveness, You see, now Jeff, it almost sounds like you're saying that if a young person has gotten away from the Lord, that there's always a failure of leadership from the parents. That is not the case. But if your children are not walking with the Lord, it is something that you need to go ahead and do anyway to say, look, what have I not modeled for you and ask forgiveness? And you say, Jeff, what about my parent? I am saved. My parent is not walking with Jesus Christ. Your text is Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. Listen to what the Bible has to say, children. Children, honor or obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Here's a great thing that you can do to your parents, even if they're up in age and you've recently gotten right with Jesus Christ. You may even have your own kids. Specifically tell them, thank you for raising me. Amen, parents? Thank you for feeding me. Thank you for putting me through school. Thank you for feeding me. Thank you for clothing me. Thank you for not killing me when I was a teenager. All right, we okay? Thank you for being able to be there for me. I know that you weren't obviously the perfect parent. You don't want to say that if you're the one trying to lead them to Jesus Christ because that's just going to make them react. But what you can also do is you can show your love for Christ by helping your parents. Look for ways to assist them. And then this is a very difficult part, but if your parent is not following Jesus, 
you ask the Lord to show you all of the ways in which you have dishonored, disrespected, and disobeyed your parents in the past. And the Lord will bring things up to you. You go to your parent and you say, you warned me about that stuff in high school. I was rebellious. I went out. I did it anyway. You were embarrassed. I was embarrassed. These things happen. And I'm letting you know right now, I am profoundly and absolutely sorry for what I have done to you. I have... Almost sounds like the story of the prodigal son, doesn't it? You know when the prodigal son came back? Did he have a list of his sins plus the sins of his father? Nope. Came back. I am not worthy to even be counted among your servants. Dad, I don't even deserve to be able to cut your grass. Brokenness. Repentance. You say, Jeff, time out. My parents were not honorable, are not honorable. And I was faced with this when I was in student ministry for two years. Over 90% of our students came from broken homes. Many of those were alcoholic. Many of those were very poor. And I was able to see firsthand students who were homes. Listen, ladies, because the mom was abusive. And I'm not going to go into all the details. The mom was abusive. She was the one that they had to call for the domestic violence call. To her dad, you would go see the student, and the dad would be drunk as a skunk. The student absolutely embarrassed, because here comes Jeff. We play basketball together, we do youth group together, and here he comes, and my dad is just drunk. Seeing that, and then if you have been through that, if you've been through an abusive parent or parents or absent parents, you come to these verses in the Bible and you say, Jeff, the Bible says to honor them, but they are not honorable. I cannot in good conscience honor the evil that they have done. Here's the way you deal with that. When you love your parents, you are not saying that they have done right when they have done wrong. We all clear on that? But you say, God, I don't see how and, and why. I, I trust you, but I don't, I don't know all the details. You have appointed them to be my parents. And you will work all things together for good. So God, I am going to do my best to honor them, to look for ways to appreciate them, even if I can't find very many. Because you told me to. I will honor them because you told me to. And in honoring my parents, I am honoring you. And what that will teach, it will teach you brokenness and submission and humility. And God will use you in your parents' lives. If you're a husband and you say, Jeff, my wife is not saved, what must I do? Here's what you must do. This is from Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 25. The Bible says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her. If there has been a period of relational uh, gridlock, what you need to do is you need to say to your wife, I am sorry for being harsh. I am sorry for being ungrateful. I am sorry for, if this is the case, for being unfaithful to you. And let her know that you are serious 
about following God's Word, which will be for her good. You see, ladies, when your man gets saved and he gets in God's Word, it's going to be the best thing in the world for you. And my goodness, if you ladies are here today and your man, has, there's something that God has done within his heart and he's now interested in Jesus, he's wanting to read his Bible, you should be his biggest cheerleader. Because he's going to come across verses <clears throat> uh, like 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Ladies, is that good stuff or is that good stuff? In an understanding way, guys. She's not just another dude. Showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. Here's the reason, guys. So that your prayers may not be hindered. So here's the thing. If you claim to be a follower of Christ, guys, but you treat your wives in a derogatory, mean, jerk fashion, if she expects from you to be beat down one more time, the Bible says that your prayers are blocked. Kiss it goodbye. God will not listen to you as long as you're mistreating one of His daughters. It's been said that a woman is like a rose. If you treat her right, she'll bloom. If you treat her wrong, she will wilt. And there are women in churches all across America that are praying for God to speak to you guys and to to be humbled and lead her spiritually. And you say, Jeff, my husband doesn't have a desire for Christ. I'm praying that he would. Here's what you need to do. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, and 1 Peter 3, 1 through 6, you need to repent and ask his forgiveness for any lack of respect or ungratefulness and serve him with a pure conduct. 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, says, Likewise, wives, be subject, subject to your own husbands. That means, women, you don't have to listen to all men. That's a big misconception about the Bible, that women are submissive to men. No, women, you are submissive to your husbands. But just because any guy comes by and tells you to do something, you don't have to do it. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one, hear this ladies, without a word, by the conduct of their wives, when they see your respectful and your pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing that you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and a quiet spirit. See, ladies, reject the culture that tells you you are what you look like to certain people. You are who God has made you to be, and you let that come out from the inside. And the Bible says that a gentle and quiet spirit, ladies, in the sight of God is very precious. Use that humility, use that love, use that affirmation to reach your husband. And ladies, there is something strangely powerful about a woman who is under the controlling power of the Holy Spirit. God can use your sweetness, He can use your gentleness and your mercy to reach through to your husband. And I think Franklin County is a cool place. I thought I'd get an amen on that, but I don't know. I really do. In June or July, it will be three years that I've been here. It's coming up pretty soon. Winter's going to be over here. And <clears throat> one of the things I've, I've observed in Franklin County is that we still have a lot of families around, don't we? 
There's, there's still a lot of places. I've lived at, you know, different places and everybody's moving in from everywhere else. Nobody knows anybody. But here, there's still a community. There's still a family structure. And what God can do if we get serious about Him is He can move through those family structures. In fact, I was thinking about what, what God has done here at Rocky Mount Baptist Church. Do you know a lot of the people that we've seen saved and come to join to be a part of this church have been connected through, help me out, family. I don't know if you guys have had, ever had a block. You've ever had to get that stuff called Drano. And it just, it just won't go down the way it's supposed to go down. And you put Drano, and you put Drano, and you put some more. And then finally, it eats through. I want you to get this. All of this difficult stuff that we have talked about today, especially with parents, humbling yourself before your children, saying, we have not done what we should. I'm not talking about being a perfect parent. But we want to start modeling this family to love Jesus, not just to be good people. What God will do in the hard hearts of your family members is He will eat through bit by bit by bit that resistance to the gospel to where the Holy Spirit will be able to flow through your family so that when my dad's parents died, they were believers. And my dad's Two brothers still living in the Dallas-Fort Worth area are believers today. And he came from a home to where they didn't go to church, they didn't serve God, and it was the type of family to where there was screaming, fighting, and they thought that the parents were going to get divorced. And today, he's married to a godly woman, and the family tree has changed for the glory of God. Let your humility and let your repentance act as Drano to break that hold of sin that's holding your family members back from loving Jesus. This is a tough message, so our invitation will be a little different today. If you need to be saved, I'll be down here. Come talk to me. Ask the Lord to save you right there. And Fred and uh, musicians, you can go ahead and come on up. But, but for the bulk, if you need to join the church, come on. If you need to be baptized, come on. I believe that the invitation for us today is to come and humble ourselves to pray extended family members, whoever they may be, and just say, God, please give me wisdom. Please help me to reach my family. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? This is our time of invitation. This, we pray, is not just another sermon, but this is a jump start. It's a catalyst for God to develop through you even if you have been the one that's been 15% at fault, the other ones have been 85 plus, for you to show that you're serious about the Lord and about your family, to go with anything that the Lord has shown you in your life, or just to go and brokenly say, Mom, Dad, would you please come to church with me? Would you please get saved and give your life to Jesus? This is the invitation for some of you dads to say, God, create in my heart so I can talk to my sons and my daughters and say, look, I have not been what I should be. We both know that, but I just want to let you know I want to be 
that man of God, I want our family to be different. I don't want you to have to raise your children in some of the ways that I raised you. I just want to let you know that I'm, I'm wanting to start over and, and for this to be a different family, a different, different attitudes. We don't, we don't go at each other's throats, that we love each other, that they, we don't cuss each other out anymore, that we don't, that we just love each other. I, I don't know how to do it. God, I just say it to your wife. Say, look, I don't know exactly how this is going to work, but I just let you know I'm committed to this. Thank you for sticking with me. Wise for you to go to your family and your, your moms. Say, look, honey, mom has been so angry with you in the past. The attitude in which what I've done, it, it's been raw. And God has shown me. I have damaged your spirits. I know that I've hurt you deep in your heart. And I'm letting you know, I need your forgiveness. Please, honey, forgive me. To your husband, say, honey, please, one more time, would you consider giving your life to Jesus? You tear down walls by brokenness and humility. This is a time for us to come and humble ourselves and to cry out to God and ask that he would save our family members, the ones that are far away from God, that he would bring them back. Lord Jesus, your word is pure and it's powerful. And we pray that your will would be done in this time of invitation. The ones who need to come forward and make decisions in any way, we pray that you would draw them, that you'd give them the power. In Jesus' name, amen. We're standing as we sing.
it's a very humbling thing to come and kneel before the Lord, especially in a group of people. But I pray that in Rocky Mount Baptist Church that God will cultivate and grow a culture of repentance, a culture of humility, a culture to where we don't give a rip about what other people think. We've got to get away from that. Rocky Mount Baptist, we've got to. Not me. Other places I go, give the word, it's boom. People come, but here we've got an issue. We've got, and once again, it's not, not just a physical thing, but if we're a church that sits on Sunday morning, God moves the point to come but through brokenness, humility, contrition, and do that, and we hold back, uh, we're limiting God. This is the only time I've ever ended a service this way. I want you to think about it. I want you to say, God, at what, what am I holding back for you to working in my family and working my friends? I love y'all, and that's the reason why we deal with difficult truths. All right? I'm not going to lie to you. It's not a church where you come and get lied to. It's not because I'm great. It's because God loves us. Amen? And it's because He loves us that He tells us the difficult things. So let, from now to next week, we're going to conclude this series by talking how do we reach out to people that we don't know. It's powerful. I was able to talk to Jonathan Sweat and uh, the Costa Rica team last night on Skype. The wonders of technology. They have arrived safely in Costa Rica, and they already had a productive day yesterday. So thank you. They wanted me to express to you as a church their great gratitude for being a giving church. And they will tell you about it next week. But what was raised was to the dollar amount of what was needed to go on the trip. Very awesome. But they'll give you some more details. Ushers, let's go ahead and man the doors here and in the back. Whatever God leads upon you to give to the Gideons, we ask you to do that. And also, some of you men, you can't be a preacher to join this. Um, it's for just professional folks. If you would like to do what Lee does and to be a part of that, giving out Bibles and financing that, just get with him. I love you. And uh, deacons, we're going to meet at 6 o'clock tonight. And this coming Wednesday, 7 o'clock, we pray that you'll come if you're a member. If you're, if you're not a member, you want to come share the gospel, that's fine. We've got a lot of people to go see, homebound members, guests, people who have recently come. And next Sunday night, I would love to have you over at my place, the Parsons across the street. Bring your favorite food, bring your favorite snack, and uh, we're going to watch the Super Bowl. And um, if I seem down, it's obviously because the Cowboys are not there, but um, we can save that for another time. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for this church, and we pray. And we humbly ask that you would help us to be willing to humble ourselves before you, before each other on Sunday morning, and before our families. Would you help us, God? In Jesus' name, amen. Love y'all. Thank you.